Hi, welcome to The Trenches. I'm your host, Rob McCallum. This is our ongoing series of interviews with filmmakers from around the world. And we couldn't have been a little bit more on the nose with that one. Today on the line with me, I have Sean Evans. Sean, are you there? I am there. How are you doing, Rob? We're doing quite fantastic. I want to thank you again for finding the time. I know we're in quite varying time zones here. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like hitting a bullseye and throwing it at New York from L.A. But uh, we made it happen. And uh, why don't you just uh, let the audience know who you are, what you're up to, because I I'm really excited to have you on the line here. Fantastic. Well, for your listeners, my name is Sean Evans. I'm 21 years of age from the United Kingdom, and I'm a movie marketer and advertiser who runs a website called Back to the Movies. So Back to the Movies, I first heard about this, I think, back in October or November, and what I like about it is it's not just your, your your regular studio fair. This isn't like, oh, check out you know Iron Man coming up uh, next week. This gets a little bit like the show in the trenches where you're interviewing a lot of uh, like name people and you know call them celebrities if you want people with lots of experience and public knowledge. But you're also and this is the part I love really getting into some of these indie filmmakers, these up and coming actors and actresses and these writers. And the part that I probably love most about your magazine is you got one sheets and synopsis for filmmakers for films that they're trying to get going through Kickstarter and whatnot, and they're just trying to promote and get uh, you know word of mouth. So why don't you just talk about your magazine? It's both its online presence and its physical form. You can drop all the details that you need to so people can get a hold of it, and uh, you just take us through the world of Back to the Movies. Okay, well, Back to the Movies started in September 2011. Now, I'm a big film fan. I've grown up with films all my life. And basically, I thought, why not try a shot at helping people out get their films marketed? So I started with independent filmmakers who were struggling to find funding for their films. I set up a Twitter page and a YouTube page, and I advertised their film, their pledges, their Kickstarter campaigns, their Indiegogo campaigns, and just tried to get the word out a little bit more, a helping hand to get them more funding for their films and it kind of took off from there really I mean I took on a lot of independent films the films that I was doing marketing for were getting funded pretty quickly um, my followers on Twitter were flying up every single day I was being followed by the odd celebrities maybe not the huge names but they're still pretty well known to me personally guys from the American Pie cast directors and uh, producers and things like that but I stuck to the independents I started marketing the independents um, quite a lot of uh, mainly horror because I was more towards horror when I first started so I, I started out with all the horror independents and then as it started taking off I thought why not set up a website so I set up back to the movies website which is www bttm.co.uk which is basically just a hub for all my YouTube videos and my Twitter posts, my Facebook posts all in one place so you can watch the videos read a little bit about the films that I'm working on and, uh, and since then it's just kind of really taken off I mean I've had studio films notice the work that I'm doing for the independents and asking for a little bit of work for that so I did a little bit of work on uh, American Pie Reunion um, Marlon Wayans asked me to do a film um, called The Haunted House, so we did a lot of marketing with with his company. Uh, we did some marketing for the new Sinister film with Ethan Hawke, so I worked with the production company and Summit Entertainment on the Sinister film. And just just things like that, just little bits of and bobs of projects that come up now and again. And it's, and it's really taking off. I mean, I'm speaking to some big guys in the industry. Uh, I'm really making my name for myself now. The website isn't doing as good as it should be, but... Um, 
the content that I've got on my YouTube page, I feel it's a strong starting point. I mean, um, these interviews, they're not set up in a studio. They're not set up behind a camera. There's no take ones. There's no take twos. It's full on one shot. That's pretty much it. And the thing about my page that stands out, it's not pre-set up. It's not pre-recorded. It's live. And these interviews are from their homes. If they're at Marlon Wayans interview was actually in a restaurant he was in. He went outside on a balcony in L.A. and did the interview. I mean, it's, it's interviews that you don't really see too often on the Internet. So I'm hoping that's the angle that I go from when I'm marketing these films. And I mean, interviewing the directors, interviewing the actors and um, posting trailers. And I even do work for prop companies as well. So we've got film props from the movies that have been used by famous people or in certain scenes that I'm doing uh, work for as well. So it's a kind of a broad range of everything film related I think yeah I mean I think you hit on something that I, that I really appreciate with some of the content you're putting out there you're doing like <clears throat> you know one take kind of like straight between you and the filmmaker you know whether they're an actor or, or a director and whatnot and it's not like a studio lit set it's not all hacked to bits so that you can tell that the viewer's only getting the best most PR approved answer these are like you know honest to God gut shot responses to the questions that you're asking them and, uh, you know, even though that, you know, everybody's used to that entertainment tonight, uh, which is a, a chat show here, you know, where they just constantly interview people, kind of like a Jonathan Ross thing, uh, but yeah. a little bit more uh, uh, glossy, it, it, it feels more honest. And I think because it feels honest, you get a little bit more intimacy with, with that person on screen. You actually can connect to them more because they feel like a human because they haven't had, you know, their appearance polished and cut and, you know, rubber stamped for approval. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when people do watch my videos, they say, well, that's more of an insight into their personality um, rather than them appearing on a talk show where they have been told to say certain things and hold back on other things. I mean, some of my interviews, I won't give it away because people can go on there and check it out for themselves. Um, some of the directors admit to certain things they've done in the past. Some directors are uh, doing some crazy crap. I mean, there's actors admitting crazy stuff they've done on film sets and things like that. It's insider information that isn't released on television, it isn't released on radio. It's private, it's more intimate, and uh, it's hopefully enjoyable to listen to and to watch. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly the kind of thing I love, and that's why I'm glad you're here. I know this is this will be like a pre-recorded thing. We're hoping to go to live at some point so we can do what you're doing and keep up the cross-branding with uh, Back to the Movies and our show as well and you know maybe bring in some other kind of outlets because it's all about helping each other grow so that if we get a guest, we can pass them off to you, especially with the staggered release dates. That would only make sense in, in my eyes anyways. Um, yeah, definitely, yeah. That would be fantastic because, I mean... Uh, there is a is it two to three weeks normally delay yeah i mean it, US it, and uk yeah it really depends on the film you know the uk yeah. uh or originated films obviously usually come out there first like skyfall came yeah. out in october uh versus november here uh some of the ardman animation stuff comes out there earlier it just really depends and i think even hollywood is starting to notice that if they push uh some of their you know homegrown films out internationally first it gets a little bit more word of mouth and then when it comes to the States, everybody's salivating for it. So it just yeah. drives people up. I mean, I think the first film that did that was Rio a few years ago. They released it in Brazil and in South America, obviously, because the content matched it. And then it went like nuts around the world and grossed like 200 million before it could even hit, you know, domestically. And then there was another 250, you know, in the first two or three weeks. So 
I think uh, I think that's going to be a trend we're going to see. So you know, let me let me ask the obvious question: What's it like to connect with some of these filmmakers? I mean, what's it like to know that okay, I have an interview with Marlon Wayans in like an hour, or when you first get that phone call that he's willing to do it, or you know that you're working on a film like Sinister, which I thought was a pretty cool flick, or uh, any of the American Pie stuff, which I grew up with, and I know you did, and that was your first connection to that. So what's it like to get you know the call to connect with these filmmakers and uh, just take us, I guess, you know, th- through that process. Um, in a word, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, when I first started, I was always thinking there's no chance I would ever get to speak to anyone in Hollywood. I was just thinking I was going to be speaking to people in the UK or maybe independent filmmakers around the world. I didn't think Hollywood would even be an option. Um, the next minute it's taken off and I'm being followed by people in Hollywood. Mila Jovovich from Resident Evil. I mean, one, she's hot. Two, she's from Hollywood. And three, she's a huge name. And all of a sudden, I'm speaking to her. It's crazy. It's unbelievable how far it's come since I've started. And I'd, I personally, I don't feel as though I've done anything yet. I mean, I post the, the work, I do the interviews. But um, to get that sort of response back from Hollywood actors, it, it's I can't really explain that feeling. It's phenomenal. And then uh, with you mentioning like Marlon Wayans, you get the call through. Right, you're speaking to, to Marlon in an hour. Um, it can only stay around for 15 minutes. It doesn't matter. I'm speaking to Marlon Wayans. I've got the interview. I've got the the questions all lined up ready, and away we go. It's crazy. But um, when I first started, I mean, the first people that I did interview were like uh, stuntmen and stunt women. So I was speaking to where uh, people like Dick Warlock, he was behind the mask of Michael Myers. I did a little interview with Kane Hodder, who plays Jason in Friday the 13th. So, so I started out with all the stuntmen and just worked through through all this uh, genre of film. I mean, producers, directors, animators, sculptors, effects artists, you name it. And I'd want to do an in- interview with them just purely because they're part of films. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And the next minute, I'm getting calls from the American Pie director saying, Sean, we really want this interview. Uh, When can you do it? When can you do this? When can we do that? When can we get the word out for this new film that we're doing? Um, A new Harold and Kumar maybe is in the pipeline. Do you want to hint at it in our interview? Things like that. It's just, uh, I can't uh, can't really describe the feeling. It's, uh, It's a bit surreal at the moment. And I'm hoping for even bigger names in the future. Well, what I love is that, you know, you mentioned that you're only 21 years old and you're surrounded by this whirlwind of now Hollywood attention. You're obviously still a big name in the in the indie community. And, uh, you know, I'll be the first to say I'm only uh, 30, but the sky's the limit, man. Time is one thing that you and I both have to develop whatever we want to do. And uh, you've got a few years on me, man. So I, I can't wait to to look into into the you know the the crystal ball and see where we are, where you are in a, in a few years from now. We'll get to that question specifically later, maybe a little bit. But you make it sound so easy, like all this stuff kind of falls in your lap a bit. But obviously, there's probably been a few hiccups along the way. Like, well, how does a 21 year old? you know, make a living off this, you know, are you, are you doing two jobs and this is more of a hobby that's just turned into something really awesome that you're proud of? Or is this, is this like a full-time gig or, you know, so maybe talk a little bit about some of the pitfalls that, uh, that have come by taking on this assignment. Well, it started off as a hobby. I I mean, it's pretty much a service that I'm giving to the industry free of charge. I mean, I don't charge. I'm doing this purely because I love films and I love the industry. And I mean, independent filmmakers, they haven't got enough money to fund their own films, hence the Kickstarters, hence the Indiegogos. So I'm always going to help them with that free of charge. But uh, 
Yeah, I do have a, another job on the side. It is marketing. It's nowhere near as fun as uh, working in the movie industry, but this is the this is the hobby part of it. But you never know. Maybe one day in the future, um, there will be a job there. It all depends on how popular the site gets, uh, how much people like my content. So it's, uh, we, it's one way to find out. We'll have to wait and see. But um, pitfalls along the way. There isn't really anything that's been a, a major hiccup. I mean, obviously, schedules for the bigger names is always going to be a problem. I, you always get that email now and again saying oh such and such can't uh, do the interview right now can we put it off for next month and by that time uh, a thousand other interviews of the same person are already online and you're pretty much lost out on your target market there so so that's always going to um, be a little bit of a hiccup getting the, the schedule sorted but it'll all come with time I mean the the bigger I get the bigger back to the movies gets the the more people are going to say right we want to do an interview with back to the movies in the first week of release or a week before release or or whatever so uh, it can just uh, wait and see and uh, hopefully time will tell so I'm going to kind of preempt something because I knew that there's something happening via Facebook because we're Facebook buddies and it is a little bit of a pitfall, but I think you've recovered and I don't think anybody really even noticed maybe just because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on your personal feed and we chat back and forth a little bit. There was a little bit of an issue with YouTube copyright a couple months ago because you were posting clips up, you know, with your that was intercut with your interviews and stuff. And I think YouTube probably got on you and, and did they ban the videos? Did they just put them on hold? Did they just make them unlisted links? And how are you working around the whole, how do you use snippets from trailers you know, with, uh, with permission or without permission, do you get permission? So maybe talk about like how you, I don't know, try to market the stuff that you do and, and like dealing with something like YouTube. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, YouTube had a lot of restrictions in place with copyrighted material. As soon as you upload a trailer straight away, you have to acknowledge that it belongs to a certain studio and belong to a certain owner. Now, now what I did at the time I uploaded content um, and it had like Sony music licensing as well as the the film trailer belonged to a certain studio or or production company so straight away as soon as you upload it YouTube either ban it or basically you don't make the views of it now eventually um, I had videos up which YouTube probably didn't notice and I eventually had 300,000 views taken off which sucked but uh, <laughs> I have to start from scratch again and, and rework them and build them back up but uh, yeah that was uh, one of the major hiccups that's happened to my page but um that's all part of the process i mean i've i've got around that now i've signed up i've been accepted onto a website where basically uh, all footage that is uploaded is given out to specific members which are chosen to use their content so now i am an approved content sharer so i still have to acknowledge the copyright but um i can upload clips onto youtube without any uh, repercussions which is always good and um there's images and things on there which i can use from studios as well so I i've got that permission now so hopefully the no views will be taken off me in the future I mean I, I didn't read into m much of the copyright permissions I mean YouTube do what YouTube do uh, that's their job and obviously copyright costs um, studios and production companies money so it's perfectly understandable why the views were taken but now I, I've got the the approval so I've got the green light to go so to speak hopefully <laughs> yeah I mean uh, you're, you're exactly right YouTube does as YouTube wants to I mean you're kind of talking almost to like a robotic entity at some point, and there's really kind of no argument there. You know, they, they you know, inundate you with pages of pages of like, you know, their user acceptance agreement. And we all know that nobody reads that. And South Park <laughs> did an awesome episode when people, you know, agreed to their iTunes thing that constantly changes and whatnot. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, 
It's uh, you know, it, it's hard to fight the kind of system. It's cool that you that you're on the, the the official list and stuff like that. Let me ask you this because I don't know much about it, and you know, we're, we're relatively new podcast entity with the Wired In Network here that has you know our several shows that I mentioned to you off the air. Uh, do you find that you know your views or your listens uh, is, is kind of like a currency and value, and that's kind of what leads you to get noticed from other people? Like, uh, how much stock do you put into that, especially at the stage where you're at? I mean, you've already got not only like indie filmmakers, but you've got studios contacting you. So, how much do the views matter to you, or do you think they're watching them and they're like, if they see that you're not getting more than you know 100,000 views, that they'll stop sending you stuff? Is there any kind of fear or concern with that? Like, how does that work? Um, it all depends on what content you upload. I mean, uh, I target specific films. Obviously, independent filmmakers, they're a new film. They're just starting out. Not many people are going to know about them. The odd trailer will sometimes catch the public's eye and the, the views will rack up. Now, I'll be totally honest, my YouTube page, some views are on 50 views, 60 views. And then I've got other videos that are on 20,000 views plus. I mean, I'm always working on trying to find ideal content that people will like and people will share, but it's all a learning curve and I've just got to keep finding the right content, getting the bigger interviews, getting the bigger names and trying as much as possible to get my content out there so it reflects in the views because, I mean, all the work that I put in for me to lose 300,000 views, um, that, that was a real shame because I put so much work into it and uh, to look back on it and to notice that so many views had disappeared... It, it sucks because it's like you've worked all that uh, time for nothing. But uh, it's it's all a learning process, and I mean you have to find the right content, and uh, hopefully it doesn't turn studios off. Because I mean, with independent filmmakers, uh, I'm proving on Twitter and Facebook, n not YouTube, that I can actually get funding for these films. So uh, I think the independent filmmakers will keep coming back, and they're always happy to have help. And I mean, if I've got that um, follower base there already it's always going to benefit them so that's always a good thing from a studio aspect it's going to be more difficult because the studios want to see a page that is stupidly popular because they want to get their film out there they want to get it out fast and they want to get the word out to as many people as possible so that's what i've got to keep working on so i'll push the independence for now and when the studios come along hopefully i'll benefit from the views but uh, it's it's all a waiting game as i said before yeah, I mean, I understand that, you know, one day you've got like 300,000 plus views and the next day you've got whatever's just racket up uh, yeah. after they've disappeared. And it's like, what the hell happened? It'd be like, you know, going to your bank account and seeing like 300 grand disappear. But I, but I think you're in a fortunate position at least because Hollywood has taken notice and that you are doing films like Sinister and you do have like Mila Jovich following you and stuff like that. So they know that you're a commodity. Maybe they can't quite ascertain the value of that commodity. But hey, like you said, you're doing this for free. You're wanting to help them. You have a following. You do great interviews. You're getting to the hardest stuff. You're providing a kind of interview and content that nobody else gets from these people. The studios are okay with it. They're still sending you stuff to do. So uh, I guess the, the to sum up this this little point is, yeah, it sucks that you lost the three hundred grand, but you've already got your foot in the door. I think so. I think you're doing great in that respect, and that uh, you might not get that, those three hundred thousand uh, views like back overnight. But I think what you are doing is going to push you to the next echelon as it is. And like I said, man, you've got time and you've got the base and you've got the, the kind of resume now that, that will lead to that. So uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat it that much. Yeah, I mean, when you look over it, it is a bit disheartening. But as you say, it's a foot in the door and uh, only time will tell. I mean, 
I've got nine years to catch up till I'm 30. That's plenty enough time for me to catch 300 views back up, 300,000 even. So, uh, yeah, we shall see. More hard work and longer nights to come, I think. There's, there's never enough of those to go around, it seems. Not enough time in the day or in the week. Um, I, got, I got a little scenario that, I, that I'd like to play with you because I don't know much about marketing. Not only do you do marketing uh, for you know Back to the Movies, but you also said you do marketing otherwise. Yep. Uh, as a filmmaker, I don't know what you know how to approach somebody who does marketing. I don't know, you know, I've got a film as you know that's almost finished. I'm waiting on literally like eight shots and VFX to turn around, and my audio mix is almost done. This is the time in my mind that I'm thinking, okay, I need to get like a marketing package together so I can get it, you know, to a distributor and get somebody on board to get noticed and stuff. We do have a rough cut trailer, uh, but you know, I, I, you know, rather than wait till the film's done, we're only like you know probably a month out from it being finished. I think now's the time to take advantage so maybe talk uh, a little bit about the process of working with the filmmaker and you can you know fire questions at me if you want to do like an exact scenario or just talk about how you've worked with other filmmakers uh, and how that initial you know meet and greet goes to you know all the way through the uh, the production process of marketing to uh, the final result right so basically straight away You've got a film there. What genre is the film? It's uh, adventure, action, a little bit of a B sci-fi movie, kind of like Indiana Jones meets Jurassic Park. There you go. Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park. Two major films, two selling points. This film is exactly what uh, you would enjoy if you like Jurassic Park, if you like Indiana Jones. You market that target audience. You go out there to action forums, adventure forums. You... Speak to people who love those kind of films, Indiana Jones fans, Indiana Jones, people who really like are dedicated to collecting pieces of the film, and anything related to action, adventure, just target it straight away. That's your target market to start with. Uh, you target those people and you build a following. You get an interest in, in your film, you show the trailer off, little bits of images, maybe some behind the scenes stuff, build up a tiny little bit of word of mouth and just see where it goes from there. You've got your target audience, so straight away these action ad adventure fans are, are looking at your content. It might not. It might be 20 views on YouTube, it might be 20,000 views on YouTube, it all depends how many people you've targeted. And then after that, take it from there, expand it out into film fans as a general. Horror fans, comedy fans, anybody, just see if they enjoy the concept of the film. Obviously, you've got to have a good film to start with, otherwise you, you're going to be kind of stuck in marketing it. You've got, to, you've got to believe that your project is sellable, and you've got to believe that your project is going to be of interest to the public. And uh, just work on it from there. Capitalize on the people who enjoy your films. Do they have friends who enjoy it? And just spread it like a like a pyramid so to speak so that right at the top of the pyramid just imagine it as a pyramid of people right at the top is that one person you tell that one person they have two friends underneath they tell those two friends who then tell their three friends four friends five friends and just let it spread and uh, that's usually how it starts when you've already got a film out and uh, when the film's being made it's a bit more difficult you can only post your behind the scenes footage your, your updates on how the filming's going and uh, it's pretty damn near impossible when you're writing a script right at the very start. You can't really market it from there. You can say you've got a concept of a film, but no one's going to really pay much interest unless you've got some images, some funky trailers, some cool music or anything like that. So, so it's, a, it's a long process, but uh, it, the fact that you've got a film already there, um, just got to target your, your audience and then uh, work on it from there. Lots of uh, posting around forums, Twitter, Facebook, create a following. 
and uh, hope for the best and hope that your film takes off. Not all films are going to catch the public's eye. Uh, films, some films are going to be very niche. Only a few people are going to enjoy it. But um, it, it, it all depends how you approach it and what you do. Now, there's a lot of stuff that you can do concurrently, and, and that's why I'm saying, you know, as we're finishing up, I, I could go on and put trailers and, uh, you know, behind-the-scene images, you know, and you create a dedicated website. I guess uh, what I kind of want to know, you know, uh, and, and maybe I'm starting to profit from this interview a little bit more <laughs> than some of our listeners, but, uh, you know, should I go after a distributor first? you know, without putting any of this stuff out there? Or should I try to build that fan audience and go to these action-adventure forums, these Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park fans, and, and get a following and then take that data as well to a distributor? Or should I just let the distributor have a crack at it? Or, you know, or is it like back and forth? Is it a yin and yang? Is it something you do at the same time? Like, uh, from my point of view, I, I would probably guess just to take it to a distributor first and see how that goes and not leak any stuff out to the public because if the distributor wants to own the film, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, they license it or it's in perpetuity or anything like that, they're, they're, they might not want that imagery out there. They might not want the trailers on YouTube. They might want to, you know, recut a trailer themselves. So I'm not sure if I do kind of like, you know, the homegrown fan-based, you know, indie kind of marketing, how much you know, how much uh, to the film's detriment that would be when I approach a distributor. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, that one's pretty much down to you there, Rob. I mean, if, if you want to take it straight to a distributor, um, that's your call, man. But it, uh, if you take it to a distributor, it's solely based on their interest and their interest alone if they want to go ahead with uh, getting the film out there. But uh, the way I do it personally, but everyone's different. I mean, I'd build up a following first, so you can say, so you can take it to the distributor and say, right, I've got this film. This film, obviously, with proven evidence that this film is popular, we've got followers, we've got supporters, people like the film that we've done, and um, the distributors are probably more inclined to back it to get it out there and to help you out rather than an independent panel saying, yeah, we love it, for them to distribute it. For them to turn out that the film nobody likes, I'd rather have evidence beforehand that people are interested in the film, people like the film before you before you want to get it out there. But it it, it all depends on what concept you've got for the film, what the quality of the film's like, and it all depends on your personal choice as a filmmaker. Right, right. Uh, so it's a lot to think about. Now I'm going to have to go back and talk to my producers because the the game plan so far, you know, quite honestly, has been to just approach some of our distribution contacts and just send it to them. But you know, I'm seeing a lot of value in in what you're suggesting because it only uh, it only strengthens the pitch. It's like it almost gives you confidence when you talk to a distributor. Say, well, you know, if you're on the fence, here's here's one thing that'll push you over. You know, I got a hundred thousand views on the trailer. I've been to some fan expos. You know, I've shown a rough cut of the film. People went nuts. Here's some pictures from that event, or here's some comments from that forum. Um, you know, so so maybe take that into account. I guess on the same lines. Uh, what you're suggesting, you know, with the internet and marketing behind the scenes, is maybe a separate website and trailers on YouTube. How do you feel about film festivals as a venue? Because a lot of people I talk to nowadays are really on the fence about it. People want to go to film festivals to get their work seen and stuff, but then there's the fees of film festivals. Some of them are like 100, 200 bucks. And, you know, as an indie filmmaker, that can add up if you're trying to just submit to festivals, let alone get in. And then when you do get in, the, the thing to do, you know, the, the good thing to do is to go out and participate in the event so that you can represent your film as a brand. And, uh, you know, there might not be any distributors there. There might not be anything there. But uh, 
Like, yeah, so let's just talk about how you feel about festivals and whether it's worth the cost as part of marketing a film and uh, versus just, you know, trying other options. Like, what do you think about festivals? Um, personally, for me, from my experience of working on the films, the film festivals are a superb way of getting your film out there and noticed in the public eye. I mean, uh, I, I worked on a film called Deadheads, which was made by uh, some guys over there in America, um, Brett and Drew Pierce. Now, they brought their film over to Film 4 Fright Fest over in the UK, and their film was literally unheard of before it came to the UK. As soon as it was played at the film festival, they got such a backing, such a following for the film and uh, as soon as they released their film and got the, it distributed out there on DVD, it uh, it got to like the number five best-selling comedy horror film on Netflix, and uh, it really got up there amongst uh, all these big-time studio films. And it's just from film festivals and just taking it around uh, the circuit of film festivals that uh, that's the reason they're so popular. But it, it all depends, really. If if you've got the a slight bit of money to invest in it, and and you know you have confidence in what you've made, and that would be the avenue. If you feel as though your film is not going to be um, too big of an, a success, maybe it's too much of a niche, maybe it's not going to be a film for everybody, maybe there's other avenues you need to think about. But from my personal experience of working with films, I, I always feel film festivals are doing really well for independent films especially. There's, there's quite a, a few films that I can think of that have really profited from film festivals but uh, it's it's all up to the persons who's made it and uh, if they're willing to invest in this film festival and uh, hopefully it'll pay off. It's a bit of a gamble. Right, and uh, you, you said something in your response there that, that shook me to my core. You said, if you have enough confidence in, in the strategy uh, or something to that effect, and unfortunately, I always have just a little too much confidence in my strategies that I probably don't think things through enough because it's like, oh yeah, that'll work out. You know, no, no problem. We'll find a way to make that work. So, <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm liking this interview or not, Sean, because I'm getting a lot of other ideas to help push this film, and I know it's going to mean <laughs> mountains and mountains of work. But you know, why stop now? I guess. Uh, in the back of my head, in a comfortable spot, at the, I thought, okay, the film will be done, I'll export it to DVD, I'll sell it to a distributor, and I'll move on to the next one. And maybe that's a little naive, because, you know, admittedly, this is my first feature film. I've, you know, done oodles of shorts and had them in festivals and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, and now I'm also thinking of uh, a couple uh, associates of mine that uh, sold their film first. That It was a film called Below Zero with uh, Eddie Furlong. Uh, about a writer who's stuck in a meat freezer who basically starts writing a horror film and he locks himself in there in isolation in order just to get the job done so he's not distracted. And the more, he, cool. yeah, the more he writes, the more delirious he gets because the temperature's dropping and he finds that you know what he's writing is kind of coming to life, almost like a Johnny Depp secret window kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, it just turns into kind of a bloodbath. And it's a really, really kind of cool flick. But they sold their film distribution first. Then they took it to film festivals. To get that following, I don't know if the, you know they were kind of doing the distributor a little bit of a favor there because you know they were building an audience after it already sold to kind of get some sales and stuff. But I know they also went over to the UK. They were at the, I think the Edinburgh Film Festival, and uh, I believe they were at uh, like an indie festival that was based right out of London. But I'm not 100% sure on that. So, what do you think about that? I mean, would you advise people after they've sold their film to a distributor to keep backing it, or should they move on? I mean, just as you know, your opinion as a filmmaker and part of the film community, do you see value in that? 
Um, I, I'm tr I'm trying to think about it in uh, a, a different term. I mean, in regards to the distributors and the film festivals, um, the preparation for me personally is key. I mean, I mean, think of it this way: if you go to a job interview without a resume and say, "Right, take a chance on me," that's a bit more less confident. It's a bit more risky. It's a bit more less planned rather than going to an interview and saying, here's my resume. There is solid proof there that uh, I am worth employing. I yep. mean, it's exactly the same with a distributor. You, you go to a distributor, you haven't got uh, a following, you haven't got any interest in the film. You just go in there on a whim. You just go in there hoping for the best. You go, right, take a chance on me. You've got no solid backing. Next minute, the other scenario is go in there. You've got loads of followers you've got a huge backing a great twitter following you've got people who want to buy the dvd before it's even been released i mean you've got proof you've got evidence you've got a foundation to build on that's that's the, probably the best way that i can describe it it's just like a job interview it's either you come prepared or you just go out on a whim and wish for the best yeah i can totally see where you're coming from because it's like if you don't have that press kit or in those stats to back it up it uh, it you really have to let the work speak for itself, uh, yeah. and then like I said, I'm pretty confident in what we did. I mean, we did a micro budget film. It's uh you know with that had like over 400 effect shots, ridiculous. When you think like the first Jurassic Park film had under 100, and we're doing something on a micro budget that had over 400 effect shots. You know, different age and technology, of course, but uh, I'm pretty confident in our work. But I, I'm starting to really pick up the value in, in what you're suggesting there. But here's the only thing that will warn people, and I, and I learned this from when I uh, had shorts that were playing around the country and some played around the world. You really got to do your research on these festivals. There's a lot of people that are setting up film festivals that have a screen that are projecting and it's in like a basement of a building and like 10 people show up. Yeah. You know, on, on some level, yeah, it's a resume line. I got into, uh, you know, the Chicago Film Festival. I got into the Las Vegas Film Festival. But... You know, what kind of reputation do these festivals have? Does it matter to a distributor? I guess on the surface, if they saw it, no. But obviously a name like Sundance or Telerud or like New York International Film Festival or, or TIFF, you know, these are obviously marquee names that you would put at the top of your list. But I would probably uh, caution some of our listeners out there that if you are going to go the, the film festival route, just to do a lot of research on the places that you're submitting to, because not everything is as is is as it seems, which is why it's really important that you go out to these festivals and support your film. Um, do you have any experience with festivals that maybe are not as luxurious as uh, they appear to be online or, or or in the flesh? There's none that I can think of, and I don't think I'd point any names if I if I didn't. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, yeah, I mean, you got to do your research. I mean. Uh, you, you've got you've got to look at the website, look at previous film festivals, and uh, to make sure that do you know anybody who's been there before? What did they think of it? Was it a big venue? Was there a big turnout? Uh, was it cheap to enter your film into that uh, festival? You you've really got to do your research, otherwise, you, as you say, you're going to end up in someone's basement with ten people, a bag a bag of popcorn, and just watching your flick. I mean. It's not really going to benefit your film. You've probably shelled out about two hundred dollars to to publish your film here it's going to be a waste of time you've got to do your research make sure there's a good following and make sure that the people who are going to your film festival are of that genre if you've made a horror film get yourself to fright fest get yourself to 
all the festival that the horror festivals that you guys have over there. I know Fangoria um, right. do a film festival on that um, is it once a year or something like that. Yeah. And so those guys do that. And um, yeah, I mean, you, you've got to target the right ones. I mean, Fright Fest is obviously one in the UK for horror fans. And then you've got the Sundance, which is a, a broader range of films. And then, yeah, you've just really got to target your film to specific festivals. But make sure it's not a basement. Make sure it's actually a decent festival that's going to be worthwhile to your film. So here's a strategy I'm going to propose to you, and, I, and I'm going to probably do some serious research on it. I think, and this is just as a direct result of talking to you for the last you know, 35 minutes or so, I think I'm going to probably push some festivals with my film, but then instead of maybe targeting some of the, you know, the direct-to-disc distributors out there, I'm sure they'll get a phone call and stuff from our producers, and why wouldn't they? I think the top of our list might be like a Netflix or Hulu, because I don't know about you and how it is in the UK, but I think that's kind of the future of everything in a visual entertainment sort of way. I know Netflix over here is like exploding. It is the way to kind of watch content. You can do binge viewing if you want, like when House of Cards, the American version hit, you know, they, they released all 13 episodes at once. And I know uh, Derek, the Gervais uh, dramedy that's over there right now, when it comes to Netflix over here, I believe it's all the episodes at the same time. So I think that's what I think just because people can, it, it accesses a bigger audience, even though Netflix, you know, acquires by territory. I think that Netflix and Hulu are, are kind of the, uh, the future and uh, that, you know, physical media is gone. What do you think about, I guess, the future of distribution and uh, what, I, what I'm hoping to do? Yeah, man. I mean, Netflix, there's Vimeo as well, and Hulu. I mean, these these are all te new technologies to me personally. I mean, I've never even tried out Netflix, and that's uh, I could admit that live on air. I mean, I'm looking at my DVDs, and I've I've got over a thousand here with Blu-rays, and I'm thinking, right, Netflix is coming. It's kind of stolen all my crap. Why did I buy all these DVDs in the first place? So uh, I I don't know. I I do like I love Netflix and and how it's uh, looking for the future. And I thought I think it would be a, a brilliant way to to get your content out there. Personally, I, I'd do that if I was making a film. Personally, as I mean, it's a growing technology and it's incredibly popular. But uh, at the same time, I still have a soft spot for the physical copies. I'd rather go into a shop and buy a physical copy of a film rather than download it. I'd rather a, a physical disc in my hand, which I can watch as and when without streaming, without sending it down from the internet. But all that's how technology is going nowadays. It's all going towards digital downloads. So yeah, definitely get your content content out on uh, the digital scene, and uh, obviously you're gonna you're gonna reap from the rewards depending on how you market it. I mean, Netflix is popular enough site. If you can get your film popular, Netflix could feature it. Right. If you get your film on Vimeo or Hulu, get your links sent out to to friends, family. And people who who love your film and just get the word out that way, and then it's it's all an independent thing. It's up to the individual how they want to market it. But personally, digital technology, digital downloads are forever a growing technology, and and it's the way forward, man. It's got to be done. I mean, people still getting the DVDs out there and Blu-rays because there's still a market there, and it's still quite a a substantial market at that. But uh, digital downloads, you can see in the future. The way the consoles are going, the consoles for the future are now adapting to more digital content rather than disc content. So you've got to go with the times and uh, get your footage out there on a, a digital scene. 
Yeah, you know, uh, just as a sidestep, you know, something you said, you got like a thousand discs uh, at your place. I probably got close to that at my place. I wish that, you know, I could put my disc in like my computer or something like that. And they would give me like a digital file of it so that I could yeah. like have like a cloud based connection of everything because I, I too love having like the digital disc and you know when I see an indie film and I can buy it from the filmmaker at a festival you know I love to have that because you know it's part of a memory it's an experience it's like owning like some vinyl you know and yeah. that's why they still make vinyl I don't think you know the the physical medium will ever go anywhere I remember I remember the day that cassette tapes stopped being produced and you know I look at uh, chain stores like Best Buy here they're really shrinking their their disc media section and whatnot but I think it's going to be around for forever but I do think digital is the, the future uh, I know Walmart here offers, you know, for $2, you can bring in a Blu-ray disc and they'll give you a digital file of it, you know, that connects to their ultraviolet service. Um, but I don't want to pay two bucks times a thousand discs, you know, like, <laughs> like, like I'm sure you don't either. I'll just put the disc in. I'm not that lazy. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Sean, so Sean, we end all these interviews with kind of a, let's play a game, a bit of a what if scenario. So there's just a few questions for you that I'm going to ask you here. OK, they're 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 just kind of fanboy fun. So just have fun with it. All right. Go for it. Okay, so the first question is you're on set of the next Spielberg flick and you get to ask him one question. What do you ask him? Transformers, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, the second question is, you can go back in time and interview anyone. Who would you say, or who and what would you say, and would drinks be involved? Marty McFly, lots of drinks, teach me the guitar solo. There you go, from, of Johnny Be Good, nice. And he actually learned that just for that scene because he knew there'd be lots of close-ups on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the last question, a little bit more down to earth, is, uh, you know, what's the future of Back to the Movies? What can we expect uh, to see from you and, and your publication? Where's it headed? And, uh, you know, what, what's the chief goal of it? Hey, man, if I, if I step, take a step back and look at the future, I mean, there's, there's something that I'd like to happen. I'd like this to go big. I mean, I'd love to get the bigger names on there. Maybe I'd even go live in Hollywood. You don't know. That's the kind of thing I'd like. A big house. A nice car, a lovely woman, you know, it's, it's, that's the dream. You're, you're living the dream, man. I, I think the idea of you being in Hollywood with all that stuff is, is kind of scary to me, but appealing because I know that you'd be a stone's throw away from Vegas. So I, I would kind of look forward to that. Uh, is there anything else that you want to tell our listening audience? Uh, maybe a, one final plug for Back to the Movies and, and, and just remind us again where they can go to see some of this content and how they can get involved. And if they want to, you know, purchase a digital subscription, uh, how often are you, are you pushing these uh, digital editions that you've got going? Well, well, the, the 2012 magazine, it's just going to be a yearly thing at the moment until we build up a lot of content. I mean, obviously with me doing it independently, it's going to take a hell of a long time for me to do it. I just haven't got the time to, to fire these magazines out once a month. So at the moment, it's going to be uh, annually. So we've got the 2012 it's out for like one dollar something, so you can purchase that on my site, which is www.bttm.co.uk. You can search Back to the Movies on Facebook, type in Back to the Movies page, all one word on YouTube, and check out all the personal interviews. And yeah, just we need to really build up the support now. So, all these lovely listeners on your show, check out our website, give us a like on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and help get the numbers up because then I can bring you more content. Better, bigger stars, more personal interviews, and I mean, filmmakers worldwide are going to enjoy the content that I make, so we really just need to, to get the support to make it bigger and better for everyone who's there to enjoy it. 
Sean, it's been a pleasure. I thank you again for taking the time out of your schedule. I hope to have you back on uh, another show or this one again, maybe down the road of the Wired In Network. Everybody listening at home, thanks again for listening to The Trenches. I'm your host, Rob McCallum, and we'll see you again very shortly. Hey.